Back up top, shot through traffic, save made, follow-up try, that one hits a body in front, and a score! It's a score! It's a score! And the Ice Bears have a 4-3 lead with 30 seconds remaining in the hockey game! Oh, what a hit! Welcome to the SPHL in Knoxville! Comes in on the right side, through the right circle, taking it and fed across, they score! Welcome in to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. My name is Joel Silverberg. Appreciate you checking out the KIB pod, whether you are doing so on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Um, a, a lot to get to. Obviously, not the weekend that the Ice Bears were hoping for. Offensively, it was about as good as you could have asked for over the course of three games, but the results probably not making a lot of people very happy and not making a lot of people in that locker room very happy. I can safely tell you that. So Knoxville gets one out of three over the course of a three-game weekend, and the Ice Bears will have an opportunity to get some of that back against the two teams that they lost to on Saturday and Sunday. They beat Roanoke on Friday, lost to Roanoke on Saturday, lost to Macon on Sunday. They'll play Macon on Friday and Saturday. They'll head to Roanoke on Sunday. Uh, Just six games left in the regular season now, and Knoxville currently sitting in sixth place and trying to climb back into a possible spot for home ice advantage. Now, what helps Knoxville in this situation is that Roanoke and Evansville are still remaining on Knoxville's schedule, and Evansville's got a tough path to the end of the season. They've got to play Birmingham a couple of more times. That is not easy. Roanoke has to play Peoria twice. They're going to get the rivalry matchup with Fayetteville this weekend, so a lot still has to be settled, but boy, you, you feel like Knoxville really could have, should have four more points from this past weekend than it does right now. So what we'll start on Friday, Knoxville obviously a really all-around showing. Granted, Post helped out a couple of times with Stead and Net, but Stead made a ton of really big saves, a couple of close-range opportunities, stopped a couple of one-timers, um, got a really good glove save off a sliding effort that he made after a one-timer was hit from the right circle shortly after Knoxville scored in the first period. So I I thought that Stead was able to respond really well because at times Knoxville has had that issue with scoring goals and then giving up a response goal rather quickly. Stead was really ready for it. I thought he played incredibly well on Friday. On Saturday, Knoxville obviously continued to have the offense. Um, You know, I I don't, I'm not proud of the moments when I'm on the air and Uh, Maybe I try to make officiating too much of the focal point of the outcome of a game, but uh, I do think that in Saturday's case, that was kind of the issue. It it really felt like Knoxville was getting a, a ton of penalties that have been let go at one time or another this season, and honestly, at one time or another during the course of that game. And even, you know, you know, this is kind of, it is what it is, but, you know, I think, it was obvious to a lot of people that in the third period of that game, things were starting to sway in Roanoke's favor for more reason than one. At the same time, Tanner Salisbury, who joined the broadcast on Sunday, said, yeah, you know, we, we brought it on ourselves at the same time. It's frustrating, and the guys talk about it, and guys are frustrated about it, but we also brought it on ourselves, and we left Stead out to dry. I didn't think Christian Stead played poorly on Saturday, and I know that may seem a little bit hard to believe because anytime you see a goalie having given up six goals in a game— you think, okay, well, the goalie had an off night. 
I, I really felt like Christian was put in some tough situations. And, and I don't, I'm not necessarily blaming that on his teammates either, but I think any time that you have 10 power plays that you have to kill off over the course of a game and a team like Roanoke is constantly able to stretch a goalie from left to right, left to right, and it's a smaller rink, so it's a smaller zone to work with. So everybody's compacted in a little bit tighter. Those one-timers, they get off a split second faster. I, I just think it's tough for any goalie in that situation. And so... You know, when Tanner was talking about it on Sunday, he didn't blame Christian for the loss. He didn't even think Christian played poorly. He thought Stead was trying to do everything that he could to keep Knoxville in that game. And in the end, Knoxville still almost came back and tied it. And Knoxville made a couple of of mistakes that Roanoke was able to bite on. P.J. DiMartino had his first, really his only major mistake since he had been in Knoxville with that defensive zone turnover early in the third period that led to the Spencer Kennedy goal. And... You know, and unfortunately, that's kind of the way of the business. DiMartino gets released uh, a couple of days later, and it's not necessarily because of that reason. You know, you've got guys coming back off the IR and back off suspension this week, and you, you've got to make a decision on on ice personnel at some point. And so it's it's tough, but that's the the way of the business. I think the guys really liked Peter, and I think they appreciated his effort. Thought he was a pretty good player, and you know, Knoxville has a talented team. And despite the results this past weekend, I don't think that changes. But at times, Knoxville has trouble has has struggled a little bit to close out tight games, especially against Roanoke. And that was the case on Saturday. Knoxville had a four to three lead, and it, it honestly felt like Knoxville. I didn't feel like Knoxville was being outplayed. I thought Knoxville was the better team on Saturday, but I thought Knoxville wasn't getting the breaks, and it seemed like Roanoke was just having an easier time controlling the pace of play. And every time Knoxville found an answer, there seemed to be some sort of of weird break. Um, Kyler Matthews appeared to get cross-checked right before Roanoke's second goal. I think Knoxville was frustrated that that goal was allowed to stand and that a penalty wasn't called. The third goal, it was, I thought it was kind of a questionable penalty on on Tanner Salisbury. And you know, Tanner, I think, handled it maturely when he spoke about it on Sunday. But Roanoke capitalizes and scores a power play goal a few moments later. It's just a tough break. And so just like that, you're down 3-2. to two. Knoxville answers again. They get a they get a nice redirect from Bailey Conger to take a four three lead into the intermission, but you come out and you have that mistake in your own end, give up the goal, and suddenly Roanoke's taking the momentum back, and then special teams helps out again. Roanoke they didn't convert on their next power play, but they scored right after it ended. So Knoxville still essentially with four guys in their own zone. Valerian gets this backdoor pass that. I don't even know if he actually shot it. It didn't look like it came off his stick cleanly, but it manages to slide in behind Stead. And then you get another penalty right after that, and Jansen's able to score from the left circle, which he's so good at doing on special teams. Both of his goals came on the power play from that side. And now you're you're down 6-4, to four and it you know disciplinary issues start to arise. And I, I think that's just coming from frustration. You know, From what I was told by everybody down on the ice, Rourke Russell was tossed for verbal abuse of officials. Didn't sound like what he said ultimately was was that bad. It sounded like, from my understanding, that there was a back-and-forth conversation between him and linesman Jesse Burns, and Rourke had something said to him that he was upset about, and it led to him responding and getting dismissed. And so while, obviously, you know players are expected to maintain their composure in every situation, it doesn't seem like a, a justifiable situation for a player to be removed from the contest right after his team receives a negative call. And 
an official appears to say something to him as well. And so I won't get into too much further detail, but it, it didn't, nobody seemed convinced on the ice that Rourke Russell deserved to be tossed. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, Rourke is their guy. And so the guys are on the bench are going to say, look, there have been times where somebody's gotten kicked out of a game for verbal abuse of officials or some sort of misconduct. And guys will say, yeah, that was a stupid penalty. We shouldn't have had that happen. Or he's got to learn, you know, this guy's got to learn to be better in that situation. And he will be, and we're confident that he will be. Here's the thing. I know that it's hard to believe, but there are guys on that bench for Knoxville that can do a pretty decent job at being objective when it comes to we did deserve that penalty, we didn't deserve that penalty, yeah, this happened, but we have to be better about it. And so that game on Saturday, I think a lot of guys were frustrated because it really did feel like officiating started to play more of a role throughout the course of the game as it went on. But in that third period, it really felt like the pendulum was swinging in Roanoke's favor. And and so it it's, you know, it's not ideal, it's not great, but... It, it, it is what it is, and you, you could still look at it and say, hey, you, you can't lose a game in which you score five goals in. And that's what happened to Knoxville on Saturday and Sunday. And then on Sunday, yes, there was the controversial call on the Hunter Bersani goal that ultimately proved to be the game winner. And looking at the video, it really does look like Bersani punches this in with his stick. And if he doesn't get it with the stick and he does hit it with the shaft of his, or if he, if he gets it with his glove, and gets it with his stick, the puck is still too high. Now, from what I was told by the players was that referee Evan Reddick, his interpretation of what happened was that it came down out of the air, hit Tanner Salisbury's shoulder, and went into the net. The the only issue I have with that explanation, and it's tough to see because the puck starts to fall behind on the opposite side of Tanner's helmet from where the camera's being positioned. Bersani makes a punching motion with his hand, and the puck appears to go into the trajectory that his glove is moving in. I just feel like if it really did hit Salisbury's shoulder, it would have rolled off his back or slid down towards his pants rather than popping back into the air towards the crossbar where it bounced off Christian Stead's glove and went into the net. I, I just That's what I have a hard time accepting. Now, at the same time, Knoxville gave up two goals on breakaways. Knoxville gave up a couple of power play goals, including the Bersani goal. Um, there was another tight angle goal, a rebound that shouldn't have happened. Knoxville wasn't as solid on the back check on Sunday as they were on Friday. That was a big reason that they were able to shut out Roanoke. And you, you can't give up power plays, and you can't give up two goals in a 10-second span. You can't give up four goals in the first period. And and despite that, it, it just really goes to show, look, Knoxville's a better team than Macon. With all due respect to Macon and Nick Nieder and the job that he's done there, he's getting his guys to play hard for him. Knoxville gave up four goals in the first period and still almost won the game. They tied the game at four, cut the deficit from six to five, and if it, if it wasn't for Bailey Conger hitting the post from the left circle with about a minute to go, that game is tied at seven. Dino Balsamo had a five-point night against Macon. Knoxville has better players than Macon does. And I thought in that game, Knoxville gave Macon way too much to work with. And that goes to show, regardless of what the talent disparity might be, if you give a team opportunities, they're going to take advantage of it. And so right after giving up a goal, you go and let Nate Keeley loose on a breakaway. Just a, a quick pass right up the middle where the defense didn't converge on him. And it's just a, it was a bizarre game. It was a bizarre first period. Knoxville, I think, outplayed Roanoke during the final two periods. Just got a couple of bad breaks. Trevor Martin made some great saves, 
when he really needed to. There was a couple of good looks that he, that Knoxville had in the third period, and Martin was able to deny them both a couple of sliding saves. And so it was frustrating. So when I, you know, when I'm ultimately trying to say is what I look at the difference between Saturday and Sunday. Yes, you can make the argument in both games that Knoxville needs to be better defensively. Knoxville needs to take fewer mistakes. Knoxville gave up multiple power play goals in both of those games. And so you can look at it and say, look, if you score five or six goals, you should win the game nine out of ten times minimum, let alone lose on back-to-back days where you score 11 goals in two games. And that's true. But I, I feel like the narrative about Saturday's game was more about officiating, whereas Sunday's game was more about not playing up to the standard that that team is capable of. And so Knoxville could have had a playoff spot clinched by now, and it, it is still all but solidified that the Ice Bears are going to be in the postseason. Quad City would have to win out, and Knoxville would have to lose out. And that would also include Pensacola and Fayetteville then having to still make up a ton of ground in their final five or six games or six or seven games the rest of the regular season as well. Knoxville still has a 10-point lead on Pensacola, an 11-point lead on Fayetteville, and a 17-point lead on Quad City. So, you know, Knoxville clinches a playoff spot with a win or an overtime loss between now and any point during the rest of the regular season. Get two games against Macon to try to do it this Friday and Saturday. I would imagine that Brent Clark and Andrew Harrison are going to have that team ready to go. I think there's a little bit of, it's probably a chip on the shoulder for Knoxville's team, not because they feel like the game was taken away from them, but I think it was also a matter of, you know, you had the dirty hit by David Nippard. He launched himself into Colton Fletcher. Colton was knocked out of the game. And then Justin Portillo, who goes to fight Nippard to defend Fletcher, gets tossed from the game for a five-minute major for cross-checking. So the five-minute charging major that Nippard was given is wiped out. And instead, Knoxville's just left with a two-minute power play because Nippard was also given a roughing minor. Now, here's the funny thing about the Portillo uh, misconduct. He did not have his stick in his hands when he went to go fight Nippard. If you look back at the replay, Portillo clearly tosses his stick to the side before he gets and makes any contact with David Nippard which means a five-minute major was wiped off the board for Knoxville. And so it's just, it's funny how that played out. It's unfortunate, but I, I don't think you can blame officiating for the loss on Sunday nearly as much as you can. I, I think, and look, you obviously, ultimately, players can still play a certain way and control the outcome of games. But I, I would say if you're an Ice Bears fan and you're upset about the two losses this past weekend, I would say that you are more justified being upset about Saturday than you are about Sunday. And, and I won't get into the details of the conversation that I had with Roanoke broadcaster Mitch Stewart, but he, I'll just put it this way. He came over and acknowledged that that was the worst game that he had seen Grooms officiate. And Grooms has been a part of some other Knoxville-Roanoke games. Mitch has been outspoken about the job or lack thereof that grooms has done at certain games for Roanoke this year. But there was obviously, there was a very controversial game back in December between Knoxville and Roanoke. That was very controversial. That was pretty bad. And, you know, I said some stuff that I probably shouldn't have about Keith grooms and Mitch Stewart acknowledged that, you know, he, it was a little bit difficult to stay impartial about what grooms did during that game. Uh, he came over, and in his estimation, that was worse than the game in December between Knoxville and Roanoke. He, he felt like that was the worst game he had seen Keith Grooms call, and that's coming from a broadcaster who just watched his team win. So, it's look, it, and again, 
ultimately, an official is ne- rarely ever going to take a hundred percent a piece of the pie. But that that was that was tough to swallow. It was tough to swallow. It was tough to watch. I was very frustrated watching the game on the broadcast um, or calling that game. And and that's the thing. I've and I've heard multiple broadcasters in this league say this, not just about Keith Grooms and not just about Evan Reddick, but about officiating in general. In the over the course of the season in this league, those games are not fun to call. Um, regardless of whether your team's winning or your team's losing, there's no fluidity to the game. It, it seemed like a good game. Um, you know, I, I know that Ryan Devine, he's had some misconducts this year, but I thought his fight was actually well-timed. I thought it was incredible. And I, I told Mitch this, and, and look, Mitch and I are buddies. I, I told him this. I was like, what Spencer Kennedy did at the start of the game was absolutely Bush League. Um, that's a serious gamesmanship issue there. There's an un- Look, there's an unwritten rule in hockey. You don't entice a player to drop the gloves. You don't start chirping a guy at warm-ups and then get him to drop the gloves at the start of the game only to run away from him like it's a cartoon. I mean, Ryan Devine's Wiley Coyote chasing after the roadrunner there. And and so eventually, you know, Kennedy and Devine did fight. Um, and I thought the fight came at an appropriate time. Knoxville had just scored to tie the game. Devine, I thought, clearly won the fight. And... I thought the fans were into it. I thought they everybody was riled up. Knoxville went into the intermission with the score tied at one. Um, and I, I thought that Knoxville, you know, I thought Knoxville handled itself well in the first period of that game and took a couple of penalties there right before the intermission. The, the delay of game on John DeRoche was just a freak accident. He's trying to clear the puck out of the air, goes off his stick awkwardly, goes over the, over the glass. Obviously, that's not an officiating issue. That's obviously a penalty. Fans were booing the call. Uh, because to a degree it looks like a deflection, but it's not. He's taking a clear swing at the puck, even though it's in the air, and bats it over the glass. That's just really unfortunate. That That's just horrible, horrible misfortune for Johnny DeRoche. And so Knoxville starts the power the second period on a 5-on-3. Knoxville killed it off, but then took another penalty shortly after that. And it's just a, you know, it, it's just a, tough when you have to be shorthanded that long. Your goalie gets tired out. Your defensemen get tired out. You know, Rourke Russell gets dismissed from the game. Now you're skating with five defensemen. It, it's just a really tough spot to be put in for any team. And I think that's what's probably the most frustrating about it, I'm sure, for the fans, if you're listening, is, you know, Knoxville's lost a lot of these close games where a tough break or two has gone in Knoxville's opponent's favor. And it's easy to look at it and say, hey, you can tie together the loose ends and this team really can become something special. Because there have been seasons where, you know, Knoxville's in sixth place right now. There have been seasons in the time that I've been here where Knoxville's been entering the postseason as a five or a six seed. And I thought to myself, this team is really going to need a ton of fortunate breaks if it wants to have any shot at making a deep playoff run. And then Knoxville ends up getting swept in the first round or they scrap their way to the semifinals and get swept. You know, Jeff Carr's first two seasons, he kind of acknowledged um, the, or I, I'll actually his first season, he acknowledged, look, we, we won that playoff series against Pensacola and triple overtime. We went to the semifinals against Peoria and we were not a mature enough hockey team to be able to compete in a postseason series against a high caliber team at a high level. And so Jeff had acknowledged that And the year before Mike Cragen's final season, that team went into the postseason, obviously limping a little bit, lost a couple of guys to injury, um, just a really tough way to end the season they go to have to play Peoria in the first round of the playoffs that team really I don't think had much of a chance to be able to make a run and then there have been other times where Knoxville's been a four or five seed and they've been capable there's been an opportunity that they could 
make a run. You know, the, the 2016 squad, the year after Knoxville won its last championship, I thought that team was capable of being able to go and, and potentially defend its title, even though it was a five seed again, because it had won the title as a five seed the year before. And, you know, they won that first game against Fayetteville, and then they lost two to one in game three on the road. And it, it was just a matter of, you know, two good goaltenders going at it in a nice goaltenders duel. And Fayetteville ultimately won the series and advanced the semifinals. But now I'm sure that was disappointing, but I don't think there was any reason that that team didn't believe that they couldn't go and, and make a bit of a run there. And obviously in a best of three series, anything can happen. And then honestly, Knoxville's last three postseason appearances, 2019, 2021, 2022, I think Knoxville's clearly had the team. You know, they've been to the semifinals two out of those three years. The series in 2019, they lost to Huntsville in two overtime games. And a, a lot of people, you know, that I spoke to around the league widely believe that that was ultimately the championship. And sure enough, Huntsville went on to sweep Birmingham that year. Um, you know, Birmingham may not agree with that, but, you know, I felt like, you know, when I was asked about it, I, I thought Huntsville was going to sweep Birmingham. And I think a lot of people felt like if Knoxville had won that series, they would have won a title in 2019. 2020, obviously, the postseason gets canceled. 2021, Knoxville had a really good team and had a lead in both games against Pensacola and just ended up being unable to hang on and ultimately got swept. Injuries played a role in that. You know, you lose Colton Heffley to a call-up. He's not allowed to come back. Nick Master is lost for the season with a wrist injury. Knoxville doesn't really have a net front presence. They don't have that big power forward that can kind of help be strong in the corners, be strong out by the crease. And Knoxville kind of having to rely on garbage goals and perimeter shots to try to make something happen offensively. And Pensacola got a couple of key players back right before the playoffs as well, which obviously helped them to their fourth title. And then last year, you know, we've, you've got so many things happening. Taylor Stefician gets suspended. J.B. Baker has to go on the IR because he's ill and can't come back until later in the series. Brucato, Wax, and Engback, those guys are injured. They're not able to play in that series. And, Pens and Roanoke, of course, played at a really high level. Getting Garrett Sargis back late in the season was huge. Um you know, Sammy Bernard had a really good series in net. So certain breaks go certain ways, and it doesn't necessarily re what reflect what happened over the course of the regular season. So, you know, for, for Knoxville this season, I think the talent is definitely there. I mean, this team is, I know they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games, but they've shown that they can compete with just about anyone. You know, Knoxville in, in you know, the month of March, you know, they've got a couple of nice wins over Roanoke, a couple of shutouts, starting to play at a higher level. I think it's a team that is playing well. I think it's a team that is showing that it does have that potential. And I don't think there's any reason that there's not belief in the locker room that this team can do something. You know, they split with Pensacola on the road, um, it, you know, ha have a couple of wins against Roanoke. And, you know, you go back to February where Knoxville, you know, they got a, a nice win over Birmingham. They got, you know, two wins over Birmingham. They, had another win at home over Roanoke. They went on the road and beat Roanoke and almost beat Roanoke again with 11 skaters and then 12 skaters. And so I just think that there's that opportunity there where this team believes that it can win. And keep in mind, for the last month, they haven't had their leading scorer. Justin McDonald hasn't been available. They beat Roanoke at home with only 12 guys when Dino Balsamo's not in the lineup, McDonald's not in the lineup, Rex Moe's not in the lineup. And I, I think it really just goes to show that this team is capable of putting stuff together. And now this week, Moe's back from his suspension. Justin McDonald's expected to be activated off the IR. Um, you know, Balsamo's obviously back, coming off a, a career-high five-point performance. So, 
now you're suddenly starting to get healthy at the right time. And sometimes that can be more important than finishing with a high seed. Granted, you'd love to be able to at least clinch that four spot so you can have home ice advantage at home. But I do think the potential is there. Christian Stead, obviously, when he's on, I think is as good of a goalie as anybody in the league. And that's also what's kind of unfortunate about this past weekend for Christian is, you know, he kind of gets hung out to dry by circumstances, not so much by his teammates, but by the way that the game unfolded on Saturday. So his goals against average and safe percentage, they take this massive hit, which isn't really fair to him. And then on Sunday, he's supposed to have the night off. Jeremy Forget goes out and lasts 10 minutes before he gets pulled. And so now Christian Stead's going out there with his team having already given up three goals. And now it's a matter of, you know, he's having to play on, you know, no rest because he's played the previous two nights, two really tough games against Roanoke. He's already put up a shutout and he gives up a couple of more goals. And, you know, now his averages, you know, they're not what they were going into Saturday. And I just think that's really unfortunate for Christian. Doesn't change who he is as a goaltender, but... You know, he, you know, a lot of people are going to look at numbers when they decide regular season awards, and Christian was an all-SPHL candidate. And so that's what I hate to see for him is that opportunity kind of taken away just by circumstances not going in Knoxville's favor. So, obviously, a lot of fans were very excited about Friday and Saturday, a couple of fights, which was probably anticipated. Ryan Devine dropped the gloves for the first time since November. A fight against Brendan Pepe on Friday, a fight against... Uh, Spencer Kennedy, which was highly anticipated on Saturday. Um, talked to Ryan about it on Sunday for the broadcast and wanted you to hear these comments as well. My conversation with Ryan Devine, if you didn't hear it during the broadcast on Sunday. Devo, I know you've kind of been dealing with the issue with your finger, but this weekend finally got to drop the gloves a couple of times. How did it feel to kind of be back in that situation, be able to get into a fight again? Uh, it felt pretty incredible. Um, I've been thinking about it since the start of November when it happened if I was going to able, ever be able to again, doctors told me that swelling's not going to go down for at least nine months. And uh, up until the fight, I thought about it. Up until the fight, I've been thinking about it. What am I, what am I going to do left, right? And then it happened, and I just didn't think about it and uh, didn't feel it. So. so that first one on Friday, obviously there, there's kind of a, a shot after the whistle. Offside call maybe came a little bit late. There's a little bit of jawing going on. You, you drop the gloves. You win that fight, and it just seems like the crowd had some sort of new life injected into itself. But what was it like to hear the the roar of the crowd after that tilt? Again, it's been a long time since I felt that. Um, but leading up to it, like you said, the all sides, I was like, where's he going with this? I don't even remember what happened. I just remembered seeing a guy coming up to Portillo, and he looked very angry. And I said, hey, you looking for one? He said, yeah. And I said, are you serious? And he said, yes. Yeah. So I just, I, I, everything went red from there, and uh, the rest is history. It, it, but it felt good, yeah. It was awesome. And then on Saturday, you were it seemed like we were going to get a fight a little bit earlier than it happened. Spencer Kennedy, who I think Knoxville fans know who he is by now, but wanted to go with you, then decided not to go with you. You chased him around the rink like a, I don't know, it felt like Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner out there. But <laughs> So let's, let's start there. Yeah. What happened at the start of the game? Uh, it started before the game. Um, he kind of looked at me and was all buddy-buddy in warm-ups. And then uh, Clarky called me in after warm-ups and said, hey, they're starting Kennedy. Do you want him? And I said, do you want me to want him? And he, <laughs> he said, that's your call. I said, all right, start me. So I, I got prepared, mentally prepared. And um, as I'm buckling my helmet, he said, don't even don't even buckle your chin strap 19. So I said, okay, it's, it's over. And uh, 
as soon as I saw him start to skate away towards where I pushed the puck, I said, he's not doing it, is he? And uh, he said, go ahead, drop your second glove. And I did. And I said, uh-oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to the box. I'm chasing him down. So you saw it. And, and that's a pretty big unwritten rule that if you're going to incite an opponent like that, you, you've got to drop the mitts, right? Yeah, exactly. I even talked to the referees after, and I said, hey, like, you know, I stopped when you guys came in. I made sure your 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 um your linesmen were safe. I was talking to groups. And he said, he said, yeah, that's kind of an un, that's that's kind of cold. You don't do that and run away. To start the game, that's just he said, that's why I only gave you two uh and an extra two. And uh, he said if it was any later in the game and it was jarring back and forth, he probably would have given me a ten. But because he broke the cold, that's why he only gave me two minutes. And you eventually did get to fight him later in the first period. Uh, you guys traded a couple of good jabs, seemed like a good fight, and then you got your left hand free. What what happened after? What, I guess what ultimately escalated to it finally happening there in the first period? Um, during the fight, to me, turning it on, or do you mean what? All of it. Yeah. Um, I was just waiting to get out there at the same time as him. And I think it was... In the box, when uh, me and Conger were in there, you know Conger can run his mouth. Everyone knows that. And uh, Conger's in the box saying a bunch of great, great things and said, uh, I'm going to score. And then, because he was, he was saying, I'll go with you. I'll go with him too. And Conger said, I'm not going to fight you. I'm going to score. Then he's going to beat the... And uh, <laughs> a few minutes later, Conger scores. And then Kennedy goes out and I... Uh, I, 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 I did the rest, you know. Well, what was that fight like? I'm sure that it obviously felt great to get back into it on Friday, but that was a highly anticipated bout. I know that you wanted him back yeah. in Roanoke at the end of February, so what was it like to finally get him there in Knoxville? Yeah, I've been anticipating a long time. I've talked with my dad about, what it, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to go righty because of your left? And I said, you know what? I kind of PTSD from grabbing with my left last time. That's how it broke. So I, did it. So I think I'm going to be careful with the left and grab with the right, and then... He was ready for the left, and um, I've also never fought someone that big before, <laughs> and uh, he was ready for it, but I got a couple lefts in, and then he kind of held onto my left elbow, I'm pretty sure, and then that's when I just unloaded on the rights. But it was, it was right after. I didn't really turn red until he got me with one on the cheek, and I felt it, and I said, ah, no, no more. Do you feel like you won the fight? Uh, I'll let the fans decide that one. So really appreciate Ryan's time in joining the podcast, and I hope that you've enjoyed listening to this edition of the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast as well. We'll have the call for you all three games this Friday and Saturday at 7.30 against Macon right here on 105.1 WKCE, the flagship station of the Ice Bears. And then Sunday afternoon, quick turnaround. Knoxville's going to play at 3 in the afternoon at Roanoke. So going from Saturday night to having to get on the road pretty early and take on the Rail Yard Dogs on Sunday. Roanoke, of course, is at home all weekend playing against Fayetteville on Friday and Saturday, and then they'll take on Knoxville on Sunday. I'm Joel Silverberg. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. We'll talk to you again next week.